is a ship that has had all its parts replaced, still the same ship. What about a man whose name and face have changed, whose memories are forfeit, whose purpose is someone else's design? What if this patchwork man found a piece of his old self? How far would he go to find the rest? And would he like what he found at the end? From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exesor, Episode 9, Rage of the Ram. footsteps in mud. I find myself inside a logwood cottage in a forest. It is a dream, I realized, but so much more. Curtains of rain, heralded by thunder, assailed the windows from outside. I sat on a wicker chair that had seen better days, its weave bristling with strain at every shift of my body. I smelled the musk of the forest wood that comprised the walls, the faint trails of smoke and wax from the chandelier above my head. Its light brought a warm amber that clashed with the slight chill in the room. It occurred to me that I was bundled up in furs. I looked down at the lush, crash-wolf fur cloak I was wearing. I felt it in my hands every strand brushing against my fingers. This isn't right, I thought. This is the memory. But how can it feel so real? A crackle from behind pulled my focus. I saw a woman glowing by firelight. She was my wife, a, stranger. a witch, partner in crime. She was preparing a meal over a waning hearth fire. The smell of carrots, roasted beans, and sweet anise beckoned from the pot. She was taller than me, red hair, freckles. Her wide smile was a beacon against the dreary backdrop outside. She hummed to herself. Noticing my staring, she gave a wink and returned to her brew. My chest tightened. Just a dream thought. It can't be. A sudden force hit my legs, tipping me over slightly in the chair. I regained my balance. Whoa! I exclaimed. My voice sounded different. I looked down. Staring up at me was a little girl. Doe-shaped brown eyes, chestnut hair, and a messy ponytail. Head to toe, drenched in rain and mud, grinning ear to ear. She was in her small clothes, her furs forsaken on the floor near the front door, which had been left ajar. Splatters of rain covered the entryway, and gusts of storm wind threatened to extinguish the hearth. And just what do you think you're doing, young lady? The red-headed woman cried out. 
shaking a stew-coated spoon at the girl. You'll catch the folly, running about dressed like that in the storms and such. I was playing like a bird, the girl laughed. I couldn't flap my wings in the furs, so I took them off. Hard to argue with that logic, I chortled. My voice. I stood up, moved to the door. Before I closed it, I drank in the sight of the tempest outside. Pines bent and swaying at the mercy of the wind. Skies cloaked by smoky silver clouds. A concerto of rain beating against soft earth. An imposing sight, but beautiful. And not another soul for miles to see it. The clatter of wooden spoons on dinner plates pulled my attention indoors. The woman shook her head at the girl. You'll wash yourself, you hear? I want to see your face through all that gunk. Not a morsel in your mouth till I do. I shut the door. Oh, be easy on her, I said, crossing to the dining room. We were young too once, if memory serves. Silence. All of us stared at the door. I turned, approaching it slowly. The wind howled outside, buffeting the windows. Debris, said the woman with a half-laugh. Or the door. It rattles, you know. Warped wood I keep asking you to replace. Forceful, urgent pounds on the door. I was dumbfounded. There'd been no one. I surely would have seen them, or heard them running. A kicktay flying from above, perhaps, but in this storm? My right hand went shakingly to the knob, my left to the dagger at my hilt. My body churned with electricity, sweat built underneath my furs. Sound was dead in the house, save for the barely lit hearth fire. Thunder rattled, low but proud, so far away. I opened the door. Nothing. The same as before. Spattered mud and bowing trees. A shadowed, punishing storm. Otherwise, empty. Relieved, I shut the door. Right you are, dear, I sighed, turning to face the girls. That warped wood... My foot bumped against something hard. I looked down and saw a tangle of red hair drenched in blood. The woman's body, slashed and skewered, laid lifeless before me. I recoiled, my back slamming against the door. My heart seized, puke roiled up in the back of my throat. My eyes darted around and saw the cottage now in ruins. Tables and chairs smashed, scarlet stains across the walls, a deep gouge in the floor leading to the basement stairwell. I heard the girls scream. Stumbling over the body in front of me, I sprinted for the stairwell. Dagger drawn, I thundered down the steps. I found the basement door unhinged. I kicked it open, lunging inside. Something black rushed by me. I whirled, losing my balance and crashing against the cold, hard marble stone. A flicker of a black cape disappeared up the stairs. Gathering my bearings, I searched the room. Two bodies were sprawled out in front of an open closet. A river of blood flowed from them both. Despondent, I crawled to them. 
They are face down on the floor, motionless. One is small, with chestnut brown hair. The other is full grown, a man wearing the same fur cloak as I. My breath halted and sputtered, my eyes glazed with tears. I moved to touch the girl's shoulder. A bear-like hand slammed down on my wrist. I cried out in pain. The hand belonged to the fur-cloaked man beside the girl. He stared at me, but his face was not his own. His eyes were black and beady, his mouth a muzzle. Suddenly, the basement began to flood with seawater. From somewhere deep below, I heard a familiar moaning. The bear man spoke, his voice loud and full and all-consuming. We will all sleep soon, Claude Von Der. Ah! I thrashed myself awake. Sweat ran down my face and neck. My breathing was labored. It took a moment for the adrenaline to fade, for my mind to adjust to the waking world. I was sleeping on a cot in Pluck's office, on the second floor of the distillery. With our plan in place, the salamanders thought it best to rest before attempting our escape. It was dark and quiet. Exhaling deeply, I brought my hands up to wipe the sweat from my face. It occurred to me that my right hand was clenched. I looked down to see I unconsciously summoned a dagger with the phantom ring. To my side, a desk chair had toppled over, one of its legs sundered by the blade. Bad dream? I jumped. Standing at the office door was Merriweather. She wore a sky-blue nightgown, with slits in the back cut out for her wings. Her blonde hair fell in a frenzied mane down her chest and back. She held a candlestick, lighting up her face and giving her sharp blue eyes a ghostly glint. I dismissed the dagger. How long have you been there? She shrugged. Not long. I was on a walk when I heard the chair fall. Walking in the dead of night? I'm a bit of a night owl. Besides, I never seemed to sleep well the night before one of our daring capers. Hmm. Sailed long with the slot? Here and there as the wind blows. At this, Merriweather gestured downstairs. Tell you about it over a drink if you like. A nightcap? Thank you, I'm fine. An awkward silence passed. Merriweather leaned against the doorframe, smirking at me. Something I said, Mr. Vondaire? I smirked back. No, just tired. Been a harrowing few days. Doubtlessly. The captain filled me in on what you'd been through with Mr. Fade. I can't imagine. She took a few cautious steps into the office, setting the candlestick down on the desk. I also couldn't help but notice you staring at me from the platform the entire time. Sharp as a hawk, I thought. Or maybe I'm not as stealthy as I like to think. I rose from my cot. I slept in my day clothes, having nothing else to wear. I leaned against the back wall of the office. The desk and chair were between us. 
a small barrier, but in that moment I found comfort in it. I recognized you. You sang at Plucks. You were very good. Oh, Merriweather made a face. Could have fooled me. Look on your face, I thought I was your worst nightmare. My apologies, I just... I had a question about one of your songs. The ballad at the end of your set the other night. Return to me? Yes. Where did you learn it? Merriweather blinked, seemingly thrown off by the question. Well, I'm not sure. A rather common tune, isn't it? This side of the sundering, at least. I've heard it before. Once. I crossed to Merriweather's side of the desk. My ring hand tensed. It was a very bad day. A very bad person sang that song while doing very bad things. Merriweather's eyes widened, her brow creased. I... I'm so sorry to hear that. As if by instinct, she reached her hand out to me. I pulled away, reflexively. She studied me, concern awash on her face. Not just for what I'd been through, it seemed, but for where I was going with this line of questioning. But... I am a bard, Mr. Von Der. I travel, I hear songs from all over. Indeed. But you weren't always, I wager. What do you mean? You had another life once. I see it in your gait. You carry those weapons of yours with confidence. Someone taught you to use that bow, that halberd you carry. At this, the concern melted from Merriweather's face. It was replaced with a stone-faced guardedness, the kind that only develops with practice. The sea is a dangerous place, Mr. Von Der, as you should know by now. A woman needs to protect herself. Still, not many bards are skilled enough fighters to ramble with pirates, and fewer still have flexible enough morals. And then there's the question of why, when you seem to have more than enough success of your own, Unless, of course, you're running from something, which I would presume... You presume too much. Merriweather leaned forward, her blue eyes hard as ice. Let's not forget who's the stranger here. The one who's put my crew, my family, in danger. I moved to retort, but her words had stolen mine. Perhaps she was right, I thought. I... I never meant to get any of you involved... My mission? Oh, Captain told me all about your mission. Some bullocks about kindred and some old Alzarian scrap? You fright-talkers, always playing like the world is your sandbox. Let me ask you something. Why are you doing this? Doing what? This. She gestured to the Alzarian reader next to my cot. You've been mind-controlled, shot, hunted. What's driving you? What's it all for? Justice? Vengeance? Profit? I can't tell you that. Because it's private? Or because you really don't know? I sat with that a moment. Of course, I couldn't tell her that I was doing Isolde's bidding. 
in exchange for the protection of my loved ones. But the question drove into something deeper. The motivations of Isolde herself. I had come to cope with my new life by viewing my assignments as something good. Sometimes it certainly felt that way. Saving common folk from hauntings, solving murders, thwarting plots. But what Isolde's endgame was, I'd never known. It always seemed as if she was waging war against her own kind. The warden certainly alluded to as much, describing her as an old foe. But for what purpose? Not only would she not bother telling me such things, but I don't know if I would understand them if she did. I was just her pawn, a blunt instrument. She'd told me as much many times. It was what we'd agreed upon. But what is my life if only for another's use? What is my life worth when I can't even remember what I sold it for? Sensing my uncertainty, Merriweather proceeded. You don't know a scorching thing about me. I've got my reasons for being here, as do you. I don't know what happened to you, Mr. Von Der, but I assure you I had no part in it. Perhaps not. But when you sang that song the other night, I... I remembered something. Something important. Something that's evaded me for years. It's a sliver of a lead, yes, but it's all I've got. Can you help me? You're poking at the wrong nest, groundling. Then prove me wrong. Tell me your story. Tell me where you learned the song. She surveyed me. For all her indignance, there was a look of empathy in her gaze that seemed sincere. Not that that meant anything. In this line of work, sincerity could be bought and sold for... Well, for a song. Merriweather leaned back. And if I'm lying, she scoffed. Then I am a fool for believing you. A still, tense moment passed. Then, Merriweather gave a wry smile, picked up her candlestick, and backed away towards the door. Make you a deal. Get my friends out of this mess you started, and I'll tell you anything you want. She turned to leave, pausing briefly to glance back at me. A sudden softness had stolen across her face. Whatever set you down this path, I hope you can choose your own one day. She left the room, long hair and wings trailing behind, casting elegant shadows on the walls from the candlelight. I sat down on my cot. I let the silence of the night creep in around me once more. For the rest of the night, I did not sleep. I simply stared at the reader, at the phantom ring, at the mark of the ebon mist on my forearm. I thought about my life, my face, my name, and how none of it was truly mine. 
I don't remember when the tears started, but they kept on till the morning. People of Sunscape, step forth if thou darest. Fitz's cry rang out through the Merchant's Coliseum in the city square. The morning market's bustle was enthralled with the salamander's unusual display. Fitz stood in the center of the crowd, atop a makeshift stage made from old crates and driftwood. Torn sails formed a scrim behind him. Painted in red across the scrim were the words, Fitzcarl Denimir, the Rageful Ram. Fitz had traded his rich attire for a tattered old white shirt, leather breeches, and a black weight belt. Fake scars and blemishes adorned his body, strategically placed to look imposing yet attractive. At Fitz's side was Captain Swift, dressed in a frilled corset and stockings, reminiscent of a magician's assistant. Her face held a plastered-on smile, while her eyes blazed at Fitz with contempt. Which of ye possesses the fortitude to challenge me? I hail from the Dark Life Wood, where there exists such baleful beasts as to make the average mortal quiver and quake. Abandoned there as a babe, I was forced to fight the wilds themselves, until one day I became their master. Din's blood, Fitzcarl, Captain Swift said, in a scripted tone void of enthusiasm. By what God's grace are ye so strong? Fitz coughed at her expectantly. Captain Swift rolled her eyes. And so handsome. Ha 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 ha! A fantastic question, my lovely aid. It is an ancient power, given to a rare few of us Draelish. A mighty gift and a terrible curse. It is known as the Rage of the Ram. They carried on like that while the crowd watched. I observed from an alleyway, near the main street leading from the merchant square to the docks. I wore a black cloak, hood and scarf over my face, lent to me by the captain. I hid as best I could, keeping watch over the salamander's proceedings. Amusingly, I noted no guards were posted at their ship's berth. The captain mentioned they'd made it a habit to change flags and disguise the hole when coming to Sunscape. A closer inspection revealed the figurehead had been swapped out and hastily tied in place. A sloppy paint job covered the hole, along with clearly self-inflicted burns and puncture marks. Clearly not masters of disguise, I thought, and yet it seemed to work. I also made note of the ferry over by the docks. From what I could tell, the ferryman only went to the lift lock by request, or when a ship was pulling into the harbor. The ferry was idling now at the docks. No ships were pulling in at the moment, and no one else seemed to have a need to be transported. I could slip through the crowd now and board quite easily, I wagered, but I held fast. Fade and the warden were searching for me through every pair of eyes in Sunscape. I had no choice but to wait and pray they took the bait. Cheers from the crowd in the square. I saw Obsidian rolling around on the stage in mock pain, pretending Fitz had broken his arm. The captain put on a show of looking shocked. Fitz bowed and blew kisses at his audience. Anyone else? 
Fitz called, gesturing outward. The captain guided Obsidian through a scrim at the back of the stage. Come now, will no one dare test their strength against mine? Don't tell me Sunscape has gone soft now. A hand shot up in the crowd. I'm game. The crowd cheered as a human man joined Fitz on stage. It was Fade. His head was bandaged, and he looked like he hadn't slept. He was smaller than Fitz, but his stoic stance was enough to make him seem much taller. Upon reaching the stage, the crowd's excitement died down into awed whispers. Everyone knew Lennox Fade, and most wished to forget him. For a moment, the sight left Fitz tongue-tied. Ah! Wonderful! Welcome, stranger! Pray, what is your name? Fade watched Fitz perform, as a bored parent might indulge a child's play-acting. I'm Lennox Fade. I hear you're the great Fitzcarl, fanged, flailing fool of the... Feared formidable foe, the Felonius, thank you. I see my reputation precedes me. More than you'd like, I'd imagine, Fitz said icily. Ha-ha, I suppose. Well, shall we, uh, get to it? Of course. I hope you don't mind. But since you're the rageful ram and all, I thought I'd better even the odds. Fade swept his hand over the crowd. I saw the masses double over, grab their heads, grunt and moan. Then they rose, looking up at Fade with glowing orange eyes. Fade beckoned them, and like wild beasts they rushed the stage, toppling over one another to reach Fitz. They lunged for him, snarling. Fitz backed away, dodging their advances, screaming. As if on cue, from on high I saw a white-winged figure swooping down upon the mob. In her hands were two glowing glass orbs, focus gems. She cracked them together, dropping them down on the throng before pulling back up into the air. The focus gems exploded in a flash of blinding white-blue light. It brought the mob to their knees, hissing as they shielded their eyes. From the cracks in the metal grates of the deck came long tendrils of cave water, moving as if shaped by an unseen hand. The tendrils cracked at the possessed crowd like whips from a lion tamer, forcing them off the stage. From behind the scrim, Captain Swift and Obsidian charged out, weapons drawn. For Asherai! The captain roared. Fade produced a scimitar just in time to block the captain's strike. I forced myself to look away. As much as I wanted to help them, I knew it was my time to move. While onlookers watched the scene at the merchant's square, I weaved in between bodies on my way to the ferry. A hand gripped my left arm as I passed. I reeled to face the person, summoning a phantom dagger. It was Nyx. His face looked even more haggard and weary than before. He looked like he'd been running, ratty brown hair matted to his face with sweat. His bloodshot eyes were manic with fear. Oren! Nyx gasped. Oh, Oren, by Rose Flame, I'm glad to see you. Nyx? Look, this really isn't the time. 
They're after me, Oren. Fade's collectors. I scorched it up, Oren. I took your money from the other night and I found a dice den. Dog's luck, Oren. Nix, I'm sorry, but I can't. Please, brother. Nix shook me, tears welling in his eyes. I got no one else. I don't want to die. From across the docks, I heard the cranking of water wheels. The ferry was moving for the lift lock. Muxbon, I cursed in my head. Dismissing my dagger, I grabbed Nix's arms and met his gaze. Listen to me. I'm headed for the lift lock. If you can keep up, you might have a chance. Got it? Nix nodded, hope and fear mingling on his face. I took off, pushing through the bodies as I made my way to the ferry. It had just departed from the berth, about a yard away. I leapt, tumbling onto the ferry. Soon after, I heard Nix do the same. The operator turned around and saw us. He opened his mouth to shout for help. I summoned a phantom crossbow and aimed it at him. Try it, friend, I panted. It's that kind of day. The operator shut his mouth and nervously turned around to continue his route. I stood up, offering Nix a hand. We looked back at the scene in the merchant's square. The salamanders continued to hold their own against Fade, while the magicked water managed to keep most of his thralls at bay. Meanwhile, I saw Merriweather hovering over the Maroon Lagoon, shouting orders to the crew. Din's blood, Nix said. Don't suppose you had any part in all this? Here and there, I shrugged. I turned to look at our destination. We were fast approaching the towering metal gate of the liftlock. To the side, built into the rock wall of the cave itself, was a small watchtower on a metal platform. Inside, I could see a woman at a control panel, presumably the one that controlled the lift. As the ferry slowed to a stop, I approached the operator. Thanks, I said, and struck him in the back of the head. He fell, unconscious, to the floor. Gesturing to Nix, we stepped off the ferry onto the metal walkway to the watchtower. Carefully, we snuck up the steps, as I kept my crossbow trained up at the windows of the tower. At last we reached the door. I opened it, stepping inside. The woman was older, somewhat frail, yet carried herself with dignity. She was fixated on the commotion in the square. I fired an initial shadow bolt at the ground to get her attention. With a gasp, she faced us. Lift, I said, crossbow aimed the battered Dow with the ugly figurehead. The woman scowled at me, standing straight. I have served this post for nearly twenty years. Brutality may be the way of things in this pitfallen city, but I will not be threatened, sir. I was about to fire another warning shot, but Nix's hand stayed me. Warily, I lowered my crossbow. He stepped forward. Please, Mom, he said. You see what it's like out there? We... I... just want out. The woman scrutinized Nix. Her scowl softened into shock at his emaciated body, the desperation on his withered face. She pursed her lips, then turned to the control panel. On it, there were dozens of thick brass knobs buttons and switches with numbers above them. She pressed a large red button, 
and I heard the rumble of gears inside the lift. The woman tinkered with a few more dials and levers. Then she looked at the Maroon Lagoon's berth and found what appeared to be a corresponding switch on the panel. She threw it. Suddenly, the water below us began to rumble and ripple. Inside the water, I saw the faint outline of a massive pulley system made up of chains, gears, and railings, stretching out from the lift towards the docks. From afar, I heard an uproar of celebration from the Maroon Lagoon's deck as the crew watched their ship being pulled from its berth. Casting off their mooring, the crew reported to their stations. Merriweather saw this from above and immediately swooped down to the battle at the Merchant Square. She scooped up Fitz in her arms and took to the air again. Together they made for the ship, Merriweather's wings beating furiously. Relieved, Nix and I made for the door. Thank you, I said to the woman. Curtly, the woman nodded at Nix. Thank him, pirate. The words sunk into my chest, sticking like a dagger as I left the watchtower. We descended the steps, stopping at the walkway to wait for Merriweather's rescue. She was on her second salamander, dropping the captain off on the deck of the ship. From the ground I saw Obsidian, bull rushing through the fray towards the pier. He jumped into the water, swimming towards the ship, where several crew stood ready to haul him up with a rope. As the ship approached the lift, I saw the gate lower, its ancient inner workings screeching with metallic scrapes. It opened to reveal the same watery chamber that had first brought me here. Though it was mere days ago, it felt like an eternity. Soon after, Merriweather glided across the bay over to Nix and I. She landed, looking a bit confused at Nix's presence. He's a friend, I explained. Merriweather shook her head. No time to argue now, she conceded. Let's go. She picked me up first. Her wings thundered against the air beneath us, and as I held her, we lifted slowly upward. As we ascended, I saw Fade screaming at us from the docks, his thralls still fighting with the water tendrils in the square. This fight was far from over, I realized. We might have won the day, but I knew I had made a lasting enemy in Fade. The warden's words echoed within me. It's as hard to kill a shadow as it is to kill the greed of men. When we reached a certain altitude, Merriweather glided down towards the lagoon. The salamanders waved us down, looking disheveled and exhausted, but victorious. As the wind thrashed across my face, I heard Merriweather speak. Mira! Pardon? The song... I learned it in the city of Mira, in the kingdom of Roth. A Kikte bard named Storm Dreamer sings there sometimes, at the Oratia. It's a folk song, but he's made it famous around those parts. You might try looking there for whatever it is you're looking for. Thank you, Merriweather. She shrugged. Well, the demigod of greed wants you dead now. I suppose that makes you one of us. Welcome to the Salamanders. And with that, she dropped me down on the Maroon Lagoon's deck. Nix joined us, 
and together we boarded the lift and left Sunscape behind. We rose, and not long after the gate opened, the crew raised the sails, and we rode the tide out of the cove into sun and shimmering sea. Echoes of Exesar is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand, freesound.org, and Sword Coast Soundscapes on YouTube. For questions or comments, email us at echoesofxesar at gmail.com.